All right, as you're finding your seat, just a reminder to grab your growth guide. And for those of you that are watching online, welcome. You can find the growth guide at cornersonnh.org slash growth guide. And you can also check in online uh, using the app or, the, uh, or texting. And if you're here, you can use the card that is in your growth guide, or you also can use the app or texting. So welcome. We are, as I mentioned, in a series called Praxis Grow. The idea of praxis is these are the practices that we as followers of Jesus do. Now, these aren't issues of right and wrong. They're not like the Ten Commandments or something like that. These are the kind of like the, the environment that we create for spiritual growth, like a spiritual greenhouse. And they all line up with our next steps and our model as a church, which is based on what we see Jesus doing. Uh, we see him praying, teaching, and healing. And here we talk about knowing God, growing together, and going and making a difference. And Praxis Grow, you'll never guess this, is actually about that middle one, about growing together, the discipleship process. And we said that our faith is a very relational faith. And in order to grow spiritually, you have to connect relationally. So the two next steps that are associated with growing together are connecting and inviting. So we talk about connecting in a small group relationally, that if you're going to be a part of this church, then we want you to be connected relationally with a circle. We not only want you to be sitting here in rows on Sunday morning, but we want you to be gathering in circles during the week so that you always have a friend here. And a big part of our faith is also including others. And so that's the other next step that's associated with growing together is that we don't just, we're not just satisfied to have our circle of us four and no more, but we want to expand that circle. We want to include others on a regular basis. So uh, we're celebrating communion today. This is the first Sunday of the month and I gen we generally do that on that first Sunday. And we're talking about fellowship and and as I said, this whole series has been focused on kind of the practical side, but, but there's also, you know, if, you, uh, uh, if you're going to do something, sometimes it helps to understand and know the why behind it. If, you know, I th uh, uh, think about this with, if for those of you that are parents, you know, you can tell your kids, do this, do this, do this, do this, but it helps them, especially as they get older, to know the why behind, you know, why do you want me to do this? And when you explain the why, then sometimes you get a better chance of them doing the what. So I was thinking about this with these whys, the, the, the what's that we've been talking about, and thinking about the why behind it. Why is fellowship so important? And that key word fellowship made me think of a couple of verses in the beginning of the first letter of John. Let's look at them together so this will kind of set the stage for it. Uh, it says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, we proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard so that you may have fellowship with us. If you've been around church for a while, you might know that the Greek word for fellowship is koinonia. That's that word right there, the koinonia. It's what we have in common. And you think about that root word of com common, community, communion, like we're celebrating today. Uh, all of these things have the idea of what we share in common. And what the Apostle John is saying here is, 
we have a message to share with you. We've had an experience that we want to tell you about because when we tell you about that, then you can join in with that same experience and we can have that in common and our common experience will form a fellowship, a koinonia among us. And so that's what he's talking about there. Then he goes on to say, and this, this fellowship that we have is not just you know us, but we are actually being included in a larger fellowship. And our fellowship, our koinonia, is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. This is an amazing statement because he's saying, you know, we have this experience that we have proclaimed and told you about. As a result of that experience, God has included us in his family. We have fellowship, we have relationship with the creator God through his son, Jesus Christ. And because now we have had that experience and we're telling you about it, when you believe, when you put your trust in Christ, you're included in that fellowship. Think about this. For, there were people who walked with Jesus, God on earth, when he was on the earth. They had fellowship with him. And what one of those people is saying to us through this letter is that you can be included in that same fellowship. You are included in that same fellowship. And then he sums it up like this. We are writing these things so that our joy may be complete. So think about the two next steps. There's connecting and inviting. Connecting, our faith is a relational faith. You enter into the faith when you come into a relationship with God through his son, Jesus Christ. Then because of that, you're included in God's family. You're citizens in God's kingdom. You have brothers and sisters in Christ. There's that fellowship. And so you need to connect but then you keep connecting others, you invite others in, you include them, and that's actually what completes our joy because it's great to be included in fellowship with God. It's great to have brothers and sisters in Christ, but once for our joy to truly be full, for it to be complete, for it to be whole, we have to include others as well. That's what he's saying. So the question that we're actually asking and answering today is this. What is the basis of our fellowship and resulting joy? A lot of people come to church because they want to make friends. They want to have fellowship with others. But even in a small church like this, there's a lot of diversity. If what, if what holds us together is what we have in common, you know, even in a small church like ours, there are different socioeconomic uh, uh, strata it represented. There are people that vote differently, people that come from different parts of the country, people that have different kinds of jobs. There are all kinds of ways that we are different. So what is the tie that binds us together? Because if our church is based on anything other than the one right answer to that, then we're going to splinter and we're not gonna hold together. And when we invite people in, what are we inviting them into? Come and, come and think like we do, come and work like we do, come and vote like we do. No, it's something bigger than that, as important as all of those things are. So today's message is called Jesus is What? And that'll make sense in just a second, but we're talking about fellowship. 
And here is the bottom line if you want to write this down. I'm going to go quickly through everything first as I usually do. Jesus is what we have in common that forms the connection that results in joy. That's what the Apostle John is saying in the intro to his letter. And here's, what, here, here's, here's how that unfolds in the letter. Jesus is what was from the beginning resulting in life. Jesus is what we experienced and we proclaimed resulting in fellowship. And Jesus is what is shared resulting in joy. And I'm going to challenge you at the end, because again, our joy isn't going to be complete until we include others, to identify one or more people you'd like to see invited into your fellowship. And by fellowship, I don't just mean your circle of friends. I mean the fellowship that we have with one another and with God the Father and his son, Jesus Christ. And then I'm going to ask you to pray for them. Just a very simple step. So let's look at it together. This is 1 John chapter 1, verses 1 to 4. And I'm going to read it from the... Uh, the Christian Standard Bible, which is, if you remember my talk on different kinds of Bibles, I like to have at least three. One that's a dynamic equivalence, thought for thought. One that's more uh, literal, a word for word. And one that is uh, more in everyday language. This is the one that is more literal. And we're going to have a little bit of fun with it today. I told you the message is called Jesus is What?, so I'm going to, at some point during the reading, I'm going to point to you, and you're going to say, what? All right, so let's practice. One, two, three. What? Okay, very good. That's, that's strong. First uh, John chapter 1, verse 1. What? Try that again. I, I snuck up on you that time. All right, one, two, three. What? What was from the beginning? What? What we have heard. What we have seen with our eyes, what? what we have observed and have touched with our hands concerning the word of life. That life was revealed and we have seen it and we testify and declare to you the eternal life that was with the Father and was revealed to us. What, what we have seen and heard, we also declare to you so that you may have fellowship with us and indeed our fellowship is with the father and with his son jesus christ we are writing these things so that our joy may be complete very good let's pray heavenly father i thank you that we are able to gather around your word i thank you lord that we are able to sing your praises that we are uh able to gather with one another but i thank you most of all that all of this is reflective of our fellowship, our koinonia, our participation in life that we have with you. So I pray, Lord, that as we look at this more in depth, that you would speak to every heart, that you would make clear to everyone who is listening the, the preciousness of the fellowship that we have with you. And I pray, Lord, also that you would place in each of us a desire to share that with others. Our mission is not complete. Our joy is not truly full until it is shared with others. So even now, begin placing on our hearts and minds people, names that you want to include in this fellowship and that you want to include us in the process of bringing them in. Thank you for this. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.
Amen. All right, so let's look at the why behind the things that we are doing here. Again, Jesus is what we have in common. That's the foundation of our fellowship that forms the connection. Jesus is what connects us, and that results in joy. Not only the joy that we have in that relationship, but the joy that we have with one another and the joy that we have in sharing it with others. And this passage starts by talking about Jesus. Jesus is what from the beginning, uh, what was from the beginning resulting in life. Now, I put in your notes that one of, the, one of the things that prompted the Apostle John to write this letter was from early on, there were, people struggled with the dual nature of Jesus. And what I mean by that was that he was fully God and fully human. That's kind of hard to wrap your mind around. And for the first several decades, at least, of the church, people were struggling with how that could be. And so when you have a Christian cult, and what I mean by that is something that is has the, the dress and garb and, and talk of Christianity, but uh, has gone awry in some way in their theology, very often it has something to do with Jesus and how he's viewed. And the easiest way to get off kilter is to deny either his divinity or his humanity. So pretty much every cult that you uh, encounter is going to deny his divinity or his humanity. These days, it's usually his divinity that gets uh, denied. But in the Apostle John's day, they were divine, they were they were denying his divinity, or I'm sorry, his humanity. In other words, if God were coming down, he could not possibly, this is the thought process, he could not possibly take on human flesh because that would, that would just corrupt him. So even though we kind of saw him and we saw him do things, it couldn't have been, he couldn't have been really there in full humanity, uh, in full human flesh. And so that couldn't have been the case. And so the apostle John, he's like, that's a nice thought, but I was actually there and I saw him and I touched him and I experienced everything in this gospel message that we're talking about. So he's addressing that. So he first talks about his divinity and then he talks about his humanity, affirming fully both. Let's look at it together. It starts out very first words. We proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning. Now, if you've read the Bible, Bible at all, or if you're even mildly familiar with it, that should sound a little bit familiar. And it's just one of the reasons why we believe that the Apostle John is the one who wrote this letter, because it has great consistency with his other writings, and especially the Gospel of John. Uh, so he's talking about uh, the, we are proclaiming to you the one that existed from the beginning. Well, it seems to me there's a verse that talks about the beginning. It's fact, I think it's in the beginning of the Bible. It's the beginning verse of the beginning book of the beginning of the Bible. And in fact, in Hebrew, the name of Genesis, the name of that book is in the beginning, Bereshit, if you want to know the, the actual word. In the beginning. Now, you probably know what comes next. In the beginning, What? God, right. So here, remember what the Apostle John is saying. He's saying, what was from the beginning, the one who was from the beginning. Well, immediately you're thinking, oh, okay, I know about the beginning. In the beginning, God 
in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And so in first John, in, in the gospel of John, see, it not only is like, okay, in the beginning, there's this one who was from the beginning. Well, in the beginning was God. And then you're like, oh, I've read the gospel of John too. Well, how does that begin? Uh, in the beginning. That's, that's how the gospel of John starts as well. And so when you read the gospel of John, you're thinking, in the beginning, God, I know, I know the rest of this story, but he does a little variation on this. First, the, the gospel of John, chapter one, starts out like this. In the beginning was the word. So what's he doing there? He's saying, I want you to know that Jesus is divine. I want you to know that he was there. He spoke to us. He made himself evident and appeared to us. So when he's writing the gospel, he's saying in the beginning was the word. Well, that's, that's a little bit of a twist. Well, what do you mean, what do you mean John, that, that in the beginning was the word? I thought in the beginning was God. And he goes on to explain. And the word was with God. So there was someone or something that was with God at the beginning of creation, and he's calling it his word. And the word was with God. But then he goes on to say, and the word was God. What's he doing? He's, he's again setting up this idea of who Jesus is. He says, I'm gonna introduce you to Jesus. I'm gonna tell the story of Jesus in the Gospel of John. And I want you to know that he was fully divine. I mean, he was there at the beginning. And he not only was with God, but he is God as well. And we're gonna call him the word because God was speaking to us. Think of the beginning of Hebrews. In various ways and at various times, God has spoken to us through the prophets, and now in these last days, he has spoken to us in his son. He's come down and made himself known. So then, so we've seen in the beginning, in the beginning God, but God is also associated with the word. Jesus is both associated with God, is God, and was with God. And then in First John, he comes back around to this idea of the word, and he's talking about Jesus, and what does he say? He is the word of life. He is the word of life. Now, that has various um, shades of meaning. He is the word who is life. He is the word who produces life. Life, life comes from God's word. And so he's saying, okay, Jesus was there at the beginning. He preexisted. He is God. He's fully divine. You've got that part right. But he also is showing up among us as well. And he is the life. I almost started with this quote today, but I put it in your growth guide. I'm just going to read it to you because we, we talk about Okay, word of life. When I, when I hear that phrase, you know, there's a college, some of you may, may be familiar with, called word of life. And I always thought of that as, okay, that's the gospel. I'm holding forth the word of life. That's proclaiming the gospel. And as I was studying this, I was like, oh man, I got that wrong. This isn't the gospel. This is Jesus himself. He is the word of life. He is the source of life. He is God speaking life to us, and I love the way I. Howard Marshall put it in his commentary. What John is describing is concerning the word of life. He's quoting there. The term life 
is the most general term for the spiritual experience which is the object of religious longing and is given to humanity by God. The writer believes that ordinary men may possess physical life but lack spiritual life. From a spiritual point of view, they are dead. Jesus, however, is the source of spiritual life. Those who believe in him go through a spiritual experience comparable to physical birth and thus obtain the gift of life. Life is this the, the, the ultimate spiritual experience. There's a sense in which that, you know, even though you have a pulse, even though you might be walking around, even though you might be walking and talking from a spiritual standpoint, apart from Jesus, you are dead. And so what the Apostle John is saying is that Jesus is the source of life. And sometimes it's talked about as eternal life. That doesn't mean it's something that starts after you die. It's the character of life. When you become a follower of Jesus, when you are born again, then what happens is God places that life, gives you that life, and it lasts throughout eternity. It cannot be killed. It will not end. And so that's why we talk about it as eternal life. But eternal life is not something you get when you die. It's something that starts when you become a follower of Jesus and are born again, are made new from the inside. So Jesus is the source of life, a life that lasts forever and is rooted in his divinity. So it says, it's talking about Jesus. He is the word of life. This one who is life itself was revealed to us and we have seen him. And just to make it clear, this, and now we testify and proclaim to you that he, again, Jesus, is the one who is eternal life. It's not just that he has eternal life. It's not just that he grants eternal life. When you are included in Jesus, you have eternal life because he is in eternal life. So he spends the first part talking about Jesus' identity, just to make clear that everybody understands, fully divine, fully human, source of life, creator, God in the flesh. And the, but, but then the question becomes, okay, well, if this life is found in Jesus, then how is it communicated to us? How do we get included in this life? So Jesus is what we have in common that forms the connection that results in joy. Now we're going to talk about that connection. We said that Jesus is the beginning, that uh, is what was from in the beginning. He results in life. But Jesus is also the what that we have experienced and proclaimed resulting in this fellowship, resulting in our inclusion in that life. Let's look at those verses again, and this time I'll highlight that part of it. We talked about how he is life itself, but what was happened? He was revealed to us in other words, the fact that God is up there, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that they are created, that, uh, that's great. But how do we get included in that fellowship? Well, how does that life get communicated to us? Well, we had to find out about it. We had to know about it. We had to know him. So what happened was God comes down in flesh in Jesus, and this is what the Apostle John is describing. He was revealed to us and we have seen him. In other words, they had an experience of life in 
Christ that led them and opened the door to fellowship with God. And so that was their experience as the apostles. But then they, in turn, communicated that to us. And that's what he talks about in the second part of this. And now we testify and proclaim to you that he is the one who is eternal life. So again, Jesus is eternal life, but how are you gonna find out about it? Well, we're gonna tell you. We're gonna tell you about our experience and we're gonna proclaim to you the story of Jesus. And this idea of communicating and proclaiming is throughout this short passage. In the rest of that verse, we proclaim to you the one who existed from the beginning, later on, whom we have heard and seen. We saw him with our own eyes and touched him with our own hands. It's like this is, was a real experience. And this is something that I really appreciate about our faith. It's not just a philosophy. It's not just a set of ideas. It is rooted in not just ideals and ideas, but in an experience, a historical fact of Jesus life, death, and resurrection. And he's saying, and we experienced it. We were there. It was real. He goes on, another point, and we have seen him. And then we proclaim to you what we ourselves have actually seen and heard. I'm not repeating verses. In those four verses, all these different phrases come together. And the reason why the reason why they want to tell you what they've experienced and, and, and include you in it is so that you may have fellowship with us. We were included in this grand story and now we want you to be included as well. So we want you to have fellowship with us and our fellowship is with the Father and with his son, Jesus Christ. It was a real experience rooted in history. We were there. We, we are telling you what we have seen and heard and experienced ourselves as a result of God revealing himself in Jesus. We were included in fellowship with him, and now we want to include you in that fellowship as well. So what was it that tied all this together? Well, Jesus is the what? Jesus is what we have in common. It's that communion, that koinonia with one another. And that forms a connection that is stronger than anything that would divide us. And it's a something, it's a connection that's going to last into eternity. And really, we can't be truly happy, truly joyful, unless we are including you, including others in that connection as well. So Jesus is what was from the beginning. He is the source of life. Jesus is what we experienced and was proclaimed resulting in fellowship. And Jesus is what was shared resulting in joy. That's, uh, that's kind of how this all wraps up. It's like this was real and we experienced it and we told you about it. We had fellowship with God through his son, Jesus Christ, and now you can too because we can tell you the story. And it's only when as many people as possible are included in this story and included in this fellowship that our joy will be full. This is what the Apostle John says at the end. He says, we're writing these things. What are these things? He's saying our experience and the message that we proclaim to you at the beginning, the message that you received, the reason that we have fellowship. We're, we're reminding you of these things so you won't get off track. We're reminding you of these things so your faith can be 
firmly rooted in the historical fact of our experience. Why? Because we don't want you to miss out so that you may fully share in our joy. The danger for them is if they started believing this off-kilter theology that Jesus was not fully divine and fully human, then, then that's not the gospel and they're not going to experience Jesus. But if they stay on track, if they accept both aspects of his identity, then they're right in the center of right thought and right theology and they will experience exactly what God has in mind. We don't want you to miss out on that. And the reason, I think one of the reasons that Jesus instituted the celebration of communion, the reason that we thousands of years later are still doing it on a regular basis around the world is that it reminds us that whatever may divide us, the way that we get into fellowship is the same. No matter who we are, where we've lived, how much money we have, what time period, what place in history we have, we all get in the same way. And it's all based on what Jesus has done. And because we have that in common, that trumps everything else. Nothing else truly matters because we have Jesus in common. He is the what that is the basis of our unity. So, that leads me to, you know, we talk about next steps, and I've been calling this lately the most important step, that uh, this is all wonderful news, but unless you receive that news, unless you take it in, and I think, again, that's why communion is such a perfect picture. It's like this stuff, this nourishment, this juice, this bread is not going to do me any good as long as it's sealed in this little container, Right? It's not until the container is opened up and I take it in that it becomes a part of me. And in the same way, it's not just enough to know that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. It's not just enough to know that his body was broken for me so that I could be included in fellowship with him. It, it's not just enough to know that. I have to receive it. I have to take it in. And the next step that we talk about is saying yes, saying yes to his forgiveness offered on the cross and saying yes to his lordship, his leadership in our lives from that point on. So if you've never taken that step, let today be that day. We're proclaiming to you what we heard and experienced, and now we want to include you as well. And so Mark, uh, uh, there's ways that you can indicate that, uh, indicate it in the growth guide. Use your check-in form to do that because we want to celebrate with you and we want to encourage you in your walk with Jesus. So that's the first step. But once you've been included in that fellowship, it, there's something wrong with you if you don't want to share it. And so that's why. You know, there, there, there are three, three next steps that this kind of hits on. One is saying yes to Jesus. Secondly is connecting, making sure that we, uh, in our actions, in our behaviors, in our habits, in our practice, that we are uh, manifesting the fellowship that we have with one another and that we have through Christ. That's when we gather together, when we gather on Sunday mornings, when we circle up during the week, when we have fun, we make time for relationships to take root and to grow and flourish. But also, it's the idea of inviting, and that's the next step that I highlighted there. If God has done something in your heart, if you have experienced 
the fellowship of God through his son, Jesus Christ, there should be something in you that wants to share that with others. And that can be challenging sometimes. I know. It's hard to talk about issues of faith. Sometimes the timing doesn't seem right, and some, you never know how you're going to be received. So I just want to take this. I'm just going to suggest to you a practical step. It's kind of low barrier, low risk. Just think about if I could have one or two people that were included in the fellowship that we have. And sometimes people talk about church that way. You know, I include you in your fellowship. Yeah, you, I, I would love to have you uh, have more people involved in our fellowship in our church. But I'm talking about the ultimate fellowship, the fellowship that we have with God through his son, Jesus Christ, to, to include others as brothers and sisters. Who are those people? Who are those one, two, three names that come to mind when you say, man, I wish that they could know. I wish they could understand. I wish they could share in what we share in. And I'm just gonna ask you to pray for them during the rest of this week. In fact, the way the growth guide worked out today, if you look under the next step, there's, there's a lot of space there. You can just jot down a couple of names and then just keep that around. Put it on your dresser or on a, you know, on a magnet on the refrigerator or something that you just a visual reminder Every time you see that, you're just going to pray for those names. And let's see what God will do. In Experiencing God, it talks about uh, the, the author Henry Blackaby says, I, I never offer a prayer and think God's not going to do something. And every time you offer a prayer, whether you realize it or not, he's listening, and he just might act as a result of your prayer. So let's see what happens. Identify one or more people you'd like to see invited into your fellowship, the fellowship that we have, that you're included in, and then simply pray for them. So let's end by celebrating communion. Again, I think it's a beautiful picture because it's like this is out there. This is the story in a nutshell. We're going to act out. We're going to dramatize the gospel. And when we take it in, what we're doing is we're saying, I, this, this isn't just good theology. This isn't just what we believe. This is something that we are taking in, that we are experiencing. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, the night before he went to the cross, he gathered his disciples. They were celebrating Passover. And they took the bread, and Jesus said, this is my body, which is given for you, broken for you, sacrificed for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And I've talked about this before, but I thought this was really insightful. It says in the Gospels that he took the cup after dinner. In the celebration of, of uh, Passover, there are actually four cups of wine and the one after dinner, each one has a special sig significance and a special meaning. The one after dinner is the cup of salvation. It was a celebration of their rescue from slavery. And this would be like, you know, when we, I don't know, think of a Christmas tradition, putting out a wreath or putting out cookies and milk for Santa or something like that is like something that they were used to doing on a regular basis and that had a certain meaning. It's like, oh no, this, this doesn't mean that anymore. 
The cup of salvation has a new meaning. The cup of salvation from now on is the cup of my sacrifice. This is the cup of the new covenant, the new way that you enter into a relationship with God. It's through the blood of my, uh, that I'm going to shed on the cross. It is my death that secures salvation from you now. And so he says, I want you to experience this. I want you to have this. I want you to be included in my family. I want you to have the fellowship of my sons and daughters. So this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this in remembrance of me. And then when the Apostle Paul is recounting this and giving the instruction to the, to the church at Corinth, he ends it this way. And every time you do this, every time you break the bread, every time you drink the cup, you are proclaiming the Lord's death. You are preaching the gospel until he comes again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for including us in your fellowship. I thank you, Lord, that you wanted to include us so much that you were willing to sacrifice yourself on the cross to make a way to establish a new covenant in your blood. And Lord, I pray that you would add to that number. When you were walking on the earth, you said, I have sheep that, are, uh, that, that still need to be included. You told the parable of the lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son, communicating to us that your heart is for those that are on the outside. Lord, duplicate that heart in us. Help us to enjoy the fellowship we have, but, but make it so that we recognize that our joy will not be full. It won't be complete. It won't be whole until others are included as well. Give us a prayer burden for those names that you have placed on our heart and draw people to yourself and please give us the privilege of being included in that work. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, have a great week.